you would take out your Bible, either if you brought one or you have one on a mobile device or something like that, or uh, if not, either of those options, there's in the back of each pew, uh, there are Bibles. You're welcome to use one of those. And we'll be turning to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find it probably on page 1231. If you've got a large print edition, it would be 1828. If you don't have, um, if you have a, a mobile device, either a, a tablet or a phone or uh, something like that, that a uh, smartphone or uh, whatever you have, they've got more devices than I can keep up with nowadays, I would encourage you to make sure you have downloaded an app by YouVersion, the Bible app. And it's a very powerful tool, one of the most popularly downloaded apps in the world. And uh, just has tons of versions. It's all free. Uh, it's a resource provided by Life Church out of Oklahoma City. And they do a lot of free resourcing like that for the church around the world. And uh, it's something that's worth having for sure. We're going to read today, starting at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 14. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as far as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake... I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow... To attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God bless the reading of his word. 
You can keep that out if you want, but you don't have to. (laughs) But we'll be in that section of Scripture today. Today's message, as you'll find in your bulletin and on your note card, is titled, Faith Motives. Before we get too far, though, I want to share with you a parable, a powerful one that Jesus told. We're told in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus was there somewhere with his disciples and in his presence there were some who were confident of their own righteousness, the scripture says, and looked down on everyone else. And in their presence, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a very devout religious leader. The other was a very much despised sinner. And when I read that, I couldn't help but thinking, and I I apologize, but you know those jokes that we tell of Two men went into a bar, the preacher and the, you know, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder if they had jokes like that back then in Jesus' day. You know, two guys went up to the temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and uh, so maybe everyone was expecting a joke, and then Jesus kind of turned the tables on them. He said that the Pharisee went and this religious, devout leader, respected And he stood off to the side and he raised his face to heaven and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those sinners, those liars, those partiers, those promiscuous people, those people that rob, that do all sorts of evil in your sight. Even like that guy over there, despicable sinner. And then Jesus said that there was another man in the temple that day who stood off at some distance and he didn't dare raise his face to heaven and he beat his chest and he said, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that that man went away right with God, not this man. I believe that had something to do with the motives of their faith. And that's what we're going to look at today in this third chapter of Philippians. We're continuing in this series that is a little bit of a departure from the series that we've been doing, the things that we've, we've been looking at, some topics. And this, we just are looking at a single Bible, a book of the Bible. Book of the Bible is sometimes a little bit misleading, I think, because the Bible is really comprised of a lot of different kinds of ancient manuscripts, and some of them uh, are bookish, and some of them are like this one, a letter. And there's other types in between, but this one's simply a letter from the Apostle Paul, written to a church that he had founded in the Greco-Roman city of Philippi. There were Jews in that church and there were Greeks in that church. We don't know a ton about them, but we do know 
that they were a faithful church to the extent that even though they faced opposition and suffering, they remained true to God's word. And this letter, unlike so many of Paul's, was not written out of, wow, I've heard you guys are doing this and doing this and doing this, you need to get your act together. This one was written in response to a kindness they had shown him and to the faithfulness that he had heard about. But it still contains instruction. And just like this chapter began, he said, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, reminders, because it's a safeguard for you. So he's writing them some reminders. Over the past weeks, we've looked at Paul reminding them that the gospel should be their priority, the good news about Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about our attitudes. And Paul said our attitudes should be like that of Christ Jesus and how we need the Holy Spirit to help us look more and more like him. And in this third chapter, we come upon a passage where the first part of it is a little bit foreign to our ears and a little bit uncomfortable in some ways. And then later on he gets to this part about running a race. And we all jump on board with him because we get that. Probably all of us ran a race at some point in our life. Maybe it was a field day in elementary school or something. Maybe you were even on the track team. If not, then we've probably all at least seen the Olympics or NASCAR or something. We get the concept of a race and it's familiar to us. But this first part where he talks a lot about flesh is a little bit uncomfortable And he uses some cultural lingos that we're not really familiar with in our day and time. But don't let the foreign feel of some of this cause you to write this off as irrelevant to your life. Because what Paul is dealing with here is a tension that the church and Christians have been dealing with, well... Even God's people in the Old Testament dealt with it. It's age old and it's important. It's this issue, this question of how are we saved? Is it by God's grace alone? Or is it by being good? Or is it some combination of the two? And many of us in this room today have heard enough messages and we've listened to enough Christian radio that we can say, well, you're only saved by grace through faith, not by anything that you can do of your own power. And yet, many of us that know that still struggle with this tension on some level. We, many of us, still deal with some pride that flows out of what we do for God. Many of us still worry about our salvation. Have we done enough? Even people standing on the outside of Christianity looking in struggle with this because you'll hear them say things like, well, I'm sorry, I just I couldn't come to church or I couldn't come to Christ because you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. And so even though it may be popular to say 
it's by grace alone that we are saved, we still struggle with this concept. Even Paul, in this very passage, seems to, on the one hand, say, it's by grace alone, and then on the other hand, talks about striving towards perfection. So, no wonder there's a little confusion on the subject. So, how we resolve this tension is the subject of our message today, and it has a lot to do with our motives. So let's just dive into chapter 3 and begin looking at this. And the first thing that Paul talks about here is legalism. On your note card today, it's a little bit different. I've got kind of two columns for you. And we're going to talk about those terms up there at the top. And you're welcome to take any notes, as little or as many as you want. You can use the back if you run out of space there. We're going to be talking about the difference between these two things. And the first thing Paul talks about in chapter 3 is about rejecting legalism. Now legalism, just quick general definition, is you know trying to dot all your I's, cross all your T's, follow a set of rules to the letter so that... Um, you know, it's a, it's a moral obsession, an obsession with morality, that you have to do this and this and this to be right with God. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, he's talking about legalistic people. And again, his use of the word flesh is uncomfortable for us. Oftentimes, when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about our sinful nature. But in this passage, he's kind of seems to almost be doing a play on words. And this first time he uses flesh, he's talking about literally flesh, like skin flesh. And so, of course, we're a little bit uncomfortable with that. Mutilators of the flesh. Who is he talking about? Uh, in this day and time, there were some people known as Judaizers, I guess you could call them. They were people who were, uh, had kind of one foot in Judaism and one foot in Christianity. And they were going around teaching to especially Greek Jews, I mean Greek Christians, that if they wanted to really be Christians, they had to first be Jewish and then Christians. And so they needed to get Jewish to get Christian, if that makes sense. And so one of the things that they would teach was that in order to be a Christian, a Greek would first have to be circumcised. Now the Jewish people, it's easy for them to say, they were circumcised as babies. But they're talking to adults here and saying, you've got to do this. You've got to jump through this hoop before you can become a Christian. And that is a kind of legalism. But then Paul goes on, he uses the word flesh again in a different connotation. He says... We, uh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here, the way he's using flesh is different. He's not talking about literal skin as much as kind of qualifications that people would recognize. You, can, you might say non-spiritual qualifications or worldly qualifications. That kind of 
That's how he's using the word flesh there. So you see it's kind of a play on words. He talks about mutilators of the flesh and then he says, I have uh, as much reason to put confidence in the flesh as anyone. And he goes on to list his qualifications and maybe this will help make sense of it a little bit. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was according to Jewish law when he was a baby. His parents took him and got that done. Then it says, he was of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And that's especially good. If you were Jewish, that was good. If you were of the tribe of Benjamin, that was even better. Because the tribes of Benjamin and Judah outlasted the other tribes. In the sense that they stayed faithful to God longer. Before the exile and all that took place that you read about in the Old Testament. A Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. Now see, we have a bad connotation with Pharisees, but Pharisees were some of the most devout believers of their day. And they were very careful to follow the law very carefully. Because they had seen what happened when Israel did not. And they were not about to let that happen again. And so they built rules on top of rules to make sure they didn't break the other rules. (laughs) They were very careful. So he said, In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee, and as for zeal, I was persecuting the church, which was seen by the Jews of that day as a heretical group, a blasphemous group, an evil, kind of cultish thing. So he was persecuting them at one point before being converted by Christ. And he makes this bold statement. As for righteousness based on the law, based on doing all the things I was supposed to do, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense of all that. And what he's saying is he's rejecting legalism. He says all that stuff... All the doing this and this and dotting your I's and crossing your T's to try and get right with God. It's, he literally says, garbage. It's worthless. I had as many qualifications of legalism as as you could possibly amass. And I'm here to tell you, it's worthless. So the first thing Paul does in chapter 3 is he rejects legalism. In our context today, people who are very religious, very moral, who we might call legalistic, are often people who, if we were to suggest to them that their relationship with God isn't quite right, they'd quickly become defensive. And they'd say, but I do all the right things. I'm at church every time the doors are open. I tithe my 10% every time. I've dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's. I never did those things that those other people did. I never did the rebellion thing. Or it was so long ago. Legalistic people also tend to use their good deeds as leverage with God. They kind of expect something in return. They say, well, I've been living my life, you know, your way, God, so I expect you to come through for me, you know, when I need you. And they tend to get upset when people who aren't living as faithfully as they feel they are, are getting the blessings that they feel that they 
have earned. They also tend to have, legalistic Christians tend to have a superiority complex. They feel like they're better than people who aren't as morally good as they are. They like to be able to compare themselves to others, you know, and be able to say, well, I should be safe because I'm definitely a better person than they are. <laughs> okay, the, everyone adequately uncomfortable? <laughs> the second thing Paul does in this next part is he embraces something called sanctification. I'm sorry for all the big words and definitions today, but... Sanctification is just a, a biblical word that has to do with being set apart for God. It has to do with His Holy Spirit transforming our lives, making us more like Jesus. And it says, uh, Paul goes on and he says that he doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from following the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He says it's the righteousness that comes, the rightness. Righteousness is like being right with God. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's a different brand of getting right with God. This one has to do not so much with anything we do on our own, but what God does in us. But, even so, on some level it seems to involve effort because Paul goes on to say, Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. You know, there's effort involved still. So, what gives? If both legalism and sanctification, sanctification involve our striving toward perfection at some level, what is the difference? And here's where we come to the subject, the main subject of our message, faith motives. Motive is the first major difference between legalism and sanctification. It's just a summary of what Paul was doing and our question that we've got to address now how do we reject legalism but embrace sanctification the first thing is getting our motives right what are the motives of your faith if your faith is motivated by fear and or pride you'll find little joy in your faith People whose faith is motivated by fear and pride are too occupied slavishly jumping through hoops to try and please God or meet all the requirements of the religion that they can't actually enjoy Christ himself. They're too busy trying to earn the blessings of God to enjoy God. On the other hand, the flip side of a faith that's motivated by 
fear and pride is one motivated by humility and by love. A person motivated by love can grow to such a place of strange joy that they can say things like Paul said. Consider some of the things he said in this passage today. He said, I consider everything, all of his past qualifications, all of his last his efforts, his successes, etc. He considers them all loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Or he also said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Doesn't that just sound like it's motivated by some crazy kind of love? For the God that saved him. You might say that the difference here between someone motivated by fear and pride and someone motivated by love and humility is is really the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And I don't know if you've heard those terms exactly that way before, but someone who's motivated by worldly sorrow is usually someone who's looking for kind of a, a get out of hell free card in a sense. They're motivated by fear and they have been faced with the recognition that the way they've been living their life is going to wind them up someplace they don't want to go. And so out of fear, they say, hey, I better start living right. I better start getting right. And so their motive is based out of fear. Someone who is motivated by love, you might say, has a godly sorrow. And that is that they're more concerned with a wrong that was done to God and wanting to make it right with God out of love for Him than they are about their own skin. Does that make sense? So, again, one motivated by fear, one motivated by love, and the motive makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between having just religion or having a loving relationship with your God, your Creator, your Savior. So our big question today, the big one that I'm wanting to... I want you to take this with you, write it, fill in your blanks, take it with you, pin it on your mirror or pin it up by your computer at work, wherever you're going to see it. And I want you to think about this one today. And think about it this week. Pray about it. Are the good things I do, and is my faith motivated by religion or love? Now I said that motive is the first major difference between legalism and sanctification. The other major difference is the Holy Spirit. Because legalism is something you're trying to do of your own effort. Sanctification is something that the Holy Spirit has to do in our lives.
Now for a few of us here today, things may seem pretty obvious. We're either, we've obviously been motivated by fear and pride. We've been trying to do it on our own. We've been bound up in legalism. And we know it and we can own it and it's obvious. Some of us here today are really truly motivated by love. And you're goodness, you know, you don't feel like God owes you anything because of your being good. You just want to serve Him the best you can. Some of us today fall in one of those camps, clearly. But probably most of us fall into this middle ground somewhere where the answers are less plain. And we're caught up in the tension. And we're not completely legalistic. And there is love there. But at the same time, we can also see in ourselves traits of those who are motivated by fear, who feel their goodness has earned them some sort of status or some sort of right to blessing. Here's the good news. Remember that parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector, the religiously devout person and the sinner, the one motivated by fear and pride and the one motivated by love and humility. And the good news for us today is that regardless of who we are or where we are in the mix of those two people, there is hope. And this is the great message. See, Jesus said that if you're that guy in the back and you've completely messed it up, there's hope for you. Reach out to God in love and in humility and walk away justified. And the Apostle Paul himself, just who he was, offers us hope if we find ourselves somewhat like the Pharisee. Because he was that guy to a T. He was that guy. He said so by his own admission in what we read today, that nobody had better qualifications than he did. And yet, even... The Apostle Paul, legalist of legalists, managed to fall out of legalism and into love with a Savior. And it turned his world upside down. So no matter who you are sitting here today, there is great hope. So what I want us to do today is uh, the band's about Allison and the band. You guys can come on up. All of us, let's stand together. The whole church, everyone, let's stand. And I want us to say something with Paul in response to this message today. Wherever you find yourself, and maybe you're still sorting that out since you just heard this message, 
But perhaps we can say with Paul, and perhaps we can strive to do with Paul, this one thing he said he did. And so let's read it together out loud from the top line all the way down to in Christ Jesus. It says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing a new song and you can sit where you are and, and spend some time in prayer. You can come kneel at an altar and spend some time in prayer. You can open up your Bible to Philippians 3 and just read that again. But let's respond to what God has said to us today. Father, it's a challenging message and all of us who strive to serve you face the temptation and the risk of falling into this trap of legalism. It's easy to do. To get so caught up in the what should we do and what should we not do that we miss out on the loving relationship. And our motives get out of whack. And we know that we need to have the right motive. We want to have the right motive. So God, help us to do just that. To forget what's behind, to press on towards what's ahead, to pursue you with all of our hearts. And may you, by your Spirit, make us into the people you want us to be, that we might resemble you more and more to a world that so desperately needs to see you. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen.